You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you can get podcasts. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to a Friday edition of the Yanks Go Yard Podcast. I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante, and I just checked to make sure there are four division series going on on Friday. The Yankees are in zero of them. So very interesting. We're going to move along from that and continue to the postmortem. Who's got to go? Who might stay? Why the New York media is preparing you for Aaron Boone's return? Doesn't it feel like it? Why there hasn't been a Brian Cashman Boone press conference of any kind since Boone said that teams are closing the gap in the immediate aftermath of the wild card loss? Gap closed. We'll talk about the postseason games that have occurred. Um, but let's also address some articles that we wrote that we think are relevant for this context. Offseason moves clearly made in the context of the World Series run that never happened, and Garrett Cole getting harassed in the Boston bullpen. We'll address it. I'm sure we can all come to an agreement on this. Folks, make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag question. We'll be more than happy to answer it. I'm getting a little bored with the spiel. Clearly, I'm over it. I'm going through the motions like the Yankees at the end of the 2021 regular season and postseason but believe me, I'm going to buck up for the rest of the podcast. Thomas Garinante, welcome to the pod. Interesting Thursday, great Friday coming up in the game of baseball. We are not participating, and the Yankees front office is doing their best not to butt in on the action that's currently occurring. We haven't heard a peep from them since Tuesday night. No, and uh, that should have been their, what, 10th time addressing the public for their team sucking for reasons that cannot be explained. Uh, would have liked to have heard from somebody. Um I don't know why there hasn't been more speculation that Boone's gone. It's it feels like he's coming back. I don't know for how long. I don't know. I don't know what the scenario might be. Um, Once again, I think our biggest fears might be coming to life where they just might run this back for 2022 and see what happens. Um, You know, one of the things that kind of struck me also was judges post game comments. I know we briefly touched on this last time. 
said he wanted to be a Yankee for life, but then said that contracts and trades are out of his control. So we'll see what the future holds. I, I, to me, your most consistent player, you're not talking to that guy in the offseason. You're not contacting his represent, uh, representation in the offseason to be like, hey, let's start, you know, maybe trying to figure this out instead of waiting until the offseason. Because Judge is, Judge is probably the biggest offseason priority at this point. It's not immediate, but he is a free agent after 2022. Um, <clears throat> so that's, I, 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 maybe they'll just keep the band together. And then when everybody comes off the books after 2022, they'll have an excuse to kind of uh, redo everything and, and figure it out. I, I really don't know. Um, and I, I'm, I'm fine with watching all these other teams in the playoffs. I really am. Uh, I, I, the, whether the Yankees season continued or not on Tuesday, uh, I came to terms with it, beat the Red Sox. Fun. Cool. Uh, probably going to lose to the Rays, lose to the Red Sox sucks, but, Season's over. Don't really have to care or watch about or watch care about or watch this team anymore. Uh, it was torture for the entire regular season. Don't know how you could disagree with that. Um, but yeah, now we have some things to talk about. Who's staying? Who's going? Are they running this back? I the offseason moves that they made in preparation to assume that they would be in like the ALCS. It's it, it just insane. Like I can't believe that that's the attitude that after what they saw in 2020 after kind of how they were they were mentally sent back to the grave with Jose Altuve's walk-off homer in 2019 like to just assume that you're going to get back to where to 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 like a few games within the world series is is kind of wacky to me especially with all the injury troubles you've had over the last years you didn't know who would would be healthy um you just you just didn't know you didn't know so many things on paper yeah the team looked great but you knew the flaws you saw the holes, didn't know if any of those were fully patched up or not. Um, the one surprise was the starting rotation being very good. Um, but the holes with the lineup, they persisted. The holes with the bullpen, they were there. Um, the holes with the hit culture and the manager, very much, very much prevalent. So I don't know where we start. I don't know what we do, but something's got to change. And if they run it back in 2022, there is a very good chance I watch four games. Mike Brasso killed us last year. Uh, we He's in the minors. Game, yeah, we all watched game one of the ALDS last night mm -hmm. between the Sox and Rays. Where's that guy? Not on the team. Nope. The, the Rays have enough talent that the, the dude who killed us and mashed left. To be fair, he crushed lefties last year. He was in the playoff lineups. Yeah. Not on the team. Jordan Luplo is starting at first base. What is going on in Tampa? I mean, <clears throat> I, I don't. I don't know what I mean. It just feels like <clears throat> you want to talk about closing the gap. There's like, that's the, that's a gulf. That Tampa is a massive gap. Tampa closed the gap on themselves. You watch Tampa play and I'm not going to make any predictions or predilections about the rest of the series. I'm not rendering it over. It's not over. The Red Sox out hit Tampa yesterday. I understand all of this, but you watch that Tampa team play at home and you just you feel the mojo that they have mm -hmm. the swagger the confidence they don't believe they're ever losing they're up one nothing two batters into the game runner scores from first on a hustle double in the gap that's insane the Yankees can't physically do that Randy Rosarena scores from first on a line drive single that got bobbled for like one and a half seconds by Kike Hernandez Nelson Cruz homers off the roof Randy Rosarena Swings and misses at pitch one. Swings and foul tips pitch two. And swings and jacks pitch three, 450 feet out to left field. Same pitch three times. And he times it up. Whiff, tip, 
bomb. Joey Gallo, how many times does he get the same fastball down the middle three times and never adjusts and never figures out how to retime it? The, you just watch that that Rays Red Sox game. It felt like the Rays were operating on a different speed yeah. than the Red Sox, who were operating on a different speed than the Yankees. And the Yankees are just such a clear fourth place team in the Rays Red Sox Jays Yanks dichotomy right now. The run it back stuff. I mean, I I don't know if if I don't know if Aaron Boone stays or goes. I'm pretty confident Brian Cashman stays. But I will say that the New York media is currently rambling overtime to get you used to the idea of if Boone's not coming back, he's being replaced by an Aaron Boone. So even if you have like dreams of this entire thing being uprooted, the media, I, the Michael K show, Michael K said it, Joel Sherman said it in his column. It's if Boone stays or goes, Let's say he goes. Cashman's picking up a Boone. Cashman's not picking up a Buck Showalter. Cashman is not hiring Bruce Bochy. Cashman is not hiring Mike Sosha. These are the examples that Kay used. You're not going to watch a veteran manager slide in or some sort. I mean, look, I don't want a. I don't necessarily want a 70 year old man piloting the New York Yankees next year. I just want somebody who does what Aaron Boone does, but has a bit more independence. And a bit more wherewithal. And it just feels like Boone's learned nearly nothing in his four years of doing this. His win percentage was immaculate in 2018, but that was a team that a sock puppet could have won 100 games with. 2019, he had a great, he did a great job managing and, and filled the gaps and motivated his team and did it all with the bullpen warts. It didn't really matter. That was a great team. Last two years, something's gone stale. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's Aaron Boone or not, but he might not be the figurehead. Some genuine change needs to be made. Either Boone leaves or his coaching staff is gutted. But mm -hmm. I will say that the yeah the the New York media the the narrative over the forty eight hours after the loss just was kind of like, hey, don't want to let you guys down, but it's either going to be Boone or a Boone acolyte like Josh Bard or. You know, his Carlos Torres, his bench coach might just get elevated or maybe they go out of the organization and hire another 43 year old with limited experience because obviously Brian Cashman likes doing this. Um, and I think the Brian Cashman is gone. Talk died down a long time ago. But in terms of running it back, Boone is sort of the, you know, the one a figure that I want gone. Marcus Timms feels like he doesn't belong on this team either. But the most important thing you could put as much import and managerial change as you want. And obviously a lot of us want Aaron Boone gone for mostly symbolic reasons and some in-game reasons, but that lineup needs to be better. That lineup cannot be run back. You look at the lineup that batted in the wild card game. And it was without DJ LeMahieu, who was bad last year, Rizzo leadoff judge Stanton, and then six below average hitters. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's it. I mean, Glaber Torres started to come around at the end of the year. Maybe he plays second base all year next year and he's above average. And that's great. Gio Urshela was up and down back and forth and end of the year and kind of a below average position. Gary Sanchez didn't start that game, but he ended the year below average too. Kyle Higashioka started that game to help Garrett Cole didn't work. And he's not good. Andrew Velasquez, not a good hitter. We love it. We love the spark plug. If you have seven above average hitters in your lineup, you can start Andrew Velasquez and bat him ninth. Not in that lineup. Um, too many and Joey Gallo was obviously terrible since coming to the Yankees. So I guess let's parlay this into, into talking briefly about Gallo. Um, has he done enough already in his two months in New York that you are interested in quote unquote selling high, high in terms of years of control and with only two months of bad pedigree on his record to another, to another franchise? Because 
I, I don't know. I hadn't even considered the possibility that he wouldn't be back next year until the season ended. And I realized that everybody else was talking about what a liability he'd been to. Um, what a, I mean, a terrible two months. I don't think he's going to be as bad next year with a full season in New York, but I don't know if I need, I don't know if I need a full season of slightly better Joey Gallo. I'm not going to pro I, I'm not going to protest if he's here, but you at least sniff around. Don't you? I think so. Look, in the I'm not anti Joey Gallo at all. I'm he he is what he is. He walks a lot. He homers a lot. He doesn't hit for average. Cool. That the Yankees simply do not need that. They need a lefty contact bat. They need a lefty bat that's a little bit more aggressive. They need a lefty bat that can simply hit fastballs. I, I I'm sorry, guys. Like we we watched the evidence over the last two months. The guy can't hit a fastball middle middle. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it was tough for him to adjust to New York. Two months isn't a very long time, but now twice in his career now, 2018 and 2021, Joey Gallo has struck his, his strikeout number was higher than his batting average. Yeah. If there is a rule in baseball, it, it, that can't, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to strike out 213 times and have your average be 199. I understand batting average doesn't carry that much weight anymore, but guess what? When you're batting under 200 and you're supposed to be one of the five batters in this lineup that's either producing or protecting somebody else, Joey Gallo wasn't protecting anybody in this lineup. He simply was not. For the last two months, he was not doing that. He went on a mini hot streak. It was cool, but it, it wasn't enough. 13 home runs and 22 bombs in 58 games. While batting 160, his OPS was a 707. Not good. His OPS plus below average at 93. Um, <clears throat> and his defense, we heard a lot about the gold glove the uh, caliber defense. We heard a lot about the versatility. But guess what? A lot of that production came in center and right field. And that's not where the Yankees are playing him. They're playing him in left field. And he there, there were a lot of issues. He, he, he let that ball drop in Toronto. He dropped that ball in Boston. That, that made that game a lot more stressful than it needed to be. Um, in that same game, he caught a fly ball at the warning track with runners on first and third. And he decides to try to throw the ball home when the runner is scoring, unless you have a, a bazooka out there to shoot the ball home and get the runner out. That allows the other runner from first to go to second, puts somebody else in scoring position. Baseball is a game of taking bases. The Yankees haven't realized that. Um, the, the defense for me was not there enough to justify. Look, if Joey Gallo's here next year, fine, great. But if you're trying to make this lineup better, I don't think having a redundant player such as Joey Gallo, who actually didn't maximize his strengths in New York, is the answer. You needed real tip-top defense from this guy. You needed more home runs from this guy. I understand 13 and 58 games is a solid amount that probably ends up that ends up being around 40 for the year when you average it out and you throw in like a little hot streak in there. He ended up hitting 38, but 77 RBI like that's two. What is that? That's that's two RBI per home run like that. That's insane. That means he's not getting any other hits that are generating RBIs. Um, so and then we talk about the double plays, dude. Grounded into three, in, grounded into three double plays in 228 at bats. What was the what was the amount before that? I think he grounded into six in his previous like. Yeah, it was under out, ten. Like yeah, yeah, it was like, it was yeah, it was nine since 2017. He grounded. I'm sorry, nine since 2015. He had grounded into. Yeah. So then, he, yeah. So then he gets he accrues 25 percent of that in 58 games with the Yankees. Weird stuff. Uh, hits his third sacrifice sacrifice fly with the Yankees of his career. That's a red flag. 
Um, That's why they sent judge. Yeah, I, I, I just I, I really just don't I, I don't understand. We, we questioned this trade in the beginning. We talked about Joey Gallo last offseason. Oh, would this be, guy be a good acquisition for us? Yeah, it wouldn't be bad. But like also, it's not something this team necessarily needs. And we I, I don't know if he'll elevate the team. He's been playing in Texas. Low stakes, not a good lineup. Um, really not that much pressure. Um, and I, I just like you, you importing somebody from that situation to a high stakes situation where you're relied upon to protect it. It's like Aaron judge, Giancarlo Stanton and Glaber Torres is not the same job is not far from the same duty. Um, so I, I don't know. And look, you're looking, you're looking at a rising arbitration cost for a lot of guys. Gallo's one Gary Sanchez is another, um, Luke Voigt is another. He simply has to be traded because the Yankees soured that relationship. Gio Rochella is another. Glaber Torres is another. Jamison Tyone, Chad Green, Jordan Montgomery. The list goes on and on. So if you're if we're talking about the New York Yankees, who are now cost conscious about every move, I don't understand why they would keep Gallo for an escalating arbitration price um, when he didn't deliver whatsoever for what they needed, and they can probably get something else in return for him, find a more adequate and look, Hey, you want to bring Brett Gardner back Then just play Brett Gardner in the outfield. Cause that's what you've been doing anyway. Put judge in center field. See how that works out. I don't know. Um, or just keep Gallo and put him in center field, like do some, do something else because whatever you just did didn't work. So I don't know if he's back or not. I'm not ready. I, like I'm not going into this offseason and be like trade Gallo, but I really don't think he has a fit on this team. I don't think it's the worst thing ever if he comes back. Um, but doing what you can to get value for him. If you don't think he's part of the plans, which I mean, I know two months is a short audition, but he really showed that he's not part of any plans. Yeah. I mean, Gardner's going to be back, whether you try to yeah. sign him or not, whether that's the plan, like he'll just well, he show has, up. He'll, he has the play. <laughs> yeah. He has he'll the player the team option. So he, he's here. He's coming he'll back be in the clubhouse. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Garrett Cole in the bullpen. I love it. Stick around. Welcome back to the Yanks Go Yard podcast. So, I mean, let's talk about Garrett Cole in the bullpen because it is funny. Um, I, I don't, this is a rare controversy that I think nobody really, like this This didn't have to be a controversy for anybody. And I don't think that uh, Brendan Cuddy, who wrote the article, was posing it as a controversy either. So I think a lot of people are fighting with someone who's not picking a fight and doesn't belong in a fight and was just you know it's an online media man recording a video knows that people are going to want to talk about and look at that video and he was 100 right um and a lot of people made him the enemy and were like you're so soft you're demeaning red sox fans because you're putting no he's not he's just showing you what happened at fenway park and it has happened at yankee stadium and somebody posted a video of cole getting heckled in the yankees bullpen as an astro and that's wonderful and that's great it does bring up the point that i am fairly positive that Garrett Cole's start was not thrown off by being heckled in the bullpen, considering he was heckled by Yankee Stadium fans in the bleachers and went out and shoved after that, shoved all last postseason, has shoved in the postseason before, and was bad in all of September because of the hamstring injury that threw off his fastball command, which rendered his slider useless, which rendered him a much worse pitcher. It's sort of an end of story for me. Um, I don't think that Garrett Cole is weak-minded, and that's why he struggled in that game, but I do think it is sort of funny to see Red Sox fans an inch away from Garrett Cole's ear with a Kermit the Frog puppet. It is really a like, wow, how did you come up with that? How did you A, know you had bullpen adjacent tickets, yeah. B, buy a Kermit puppet, C, like know you were going to get in the first row and be in that shot? Like, 
it's almost too perfect. I wonder if that's a false flag operation, like a Red Sox employee was doing that. But it was you look, it's it's a funny video. It's a good job by the fans of throwing him off. I wish Garrett Cole wasn't thrown off by it. That's my only conclusion. I wish he had gone out there and been like, all right, I'm gonna shut your ass up. But he did not do that. I don't think it was because of the heckling, but you know, it paints a story you don't really want to read. A to B to C, yelling in his ear to struggling to leaving to getting jeered to now the question marks do exist. I think it played somewhat of a role um, because because I think you factor in everything else. He had a bad September. He may or may not have been pitching slightly injured. We don't know. He had historically been up until this point kind of knocked around by the Red Sox in a Yankees uniform Um, more more times than we would like to see at least. Um, And then you kind of... I don't know. It's just like he he does strike me as a guy who could who could get a little bit rattled. He doesn't seem to have that that personality where he's not really thinking about anything else when somebody's it's I understand he got heckled in the in the in the uh, Yankees bullpen before the ALCS. But like I, I think those it's a little bit different because he was second fiddle in that rotation um, and to Justin Verlander. And um, the, the the proximity of this heckling was like nothing I've ever seen before, at, at least from a like the Yankee. When you're heckling people at Yankee Stadium from the bullpen, you are elevated. You are not like next to these guys able to no. like scream in their ear. This guy is behind Garrett Cole with a container of spider tack too. don't don't forget that they're yeah. yelling every time he's throwing a pitch. I think he bounced one. We didn't see it, but the reaction from all the people were like freaking out because the pitch was so bad. Um, So I don't think that that completely threw him off, but he gets taken out of the game and the entire crowd is chanting Garrett, Garrett. And it's clear like their mission that night was to get in his head, to get the Yankees to pull him early, to get their way. And they did. So the narrative adds up to make it seem like that that was the chief reason. It wasn't the chief reason, but I do think it played a little bit of a role. Um, And it's just, it's all, you know, he's, he knew the pressure coming into this. Like there was, there was not that I'm not saying that the the ALCS stakes were, were much different, but like this was a do or die game. He simply had to win it. This is what he gets paid for. He had the mental struggle of, having a bad September getting rocked by two teams that he had no business getting rocked by. Um, especially because uh, I'm not saying that the blue Jays didn't have the ability to rock, rock him, but he had previous bad starts against the blue Jays. This was kind of a, it was the closest to a must win game as it possibly could have been for the Yankees with their ACE on the mound. So it was kind of tailor made for them to get it done. Um, and then he gets the, the game's over in the first two innings. Um, I know they come back, but like you, you, you have that, you have the vibe where it's like, okay, great. We're doing this again. Like they're not going to, they're not winning this game. It's, it's not, it's not in the stars for them. Mm. Um, and then uh, what was I just going to say about, I was going to say something else about the fans. Oh, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not against this behavior either. I'm not crying about this behavior. Like you yell, like Yankee fans got shit for yelling Uber at Randy Dobnak. Who's like a millionaire now. Doesn't, doesn't he get the last laugh? The guy was, driving ubers and now he's pitching in the alds 
cool. Like that, that guy wins. That guy beats the bleacher creatures in terms of societal impact. Um, so fans are going to heckle. This is what they do. This is the rivalry. So fans are going to heckle even more. Um, crazy how that's kind of how it transpired with those people getting those seats right behind him, having all of the equipment they needed uh, to do it. Um, and to do a good job of it, because I'm, you know, I'm not going to sit here and complain about it. It was a very good job of heckling there. You can't take that away from the Red Sox fans. Um, once again, we're talking about they bring the energy. Red Sox fans, when their team is good, they, they bring the energy. They know what needs to be done to help their team get to the next step. Um, so uh, I'm not going to go as far to say that it it was the reason he he pitched badly. But I'm also not going to say it had nothing to do with it, because I think that um you look at him getting booed at Yankee stadium you and you look at the Yankees, like I mentioned on the last podcast, just getting emotionally and mentally abused over the last couple of years with mm-hmm. horrific losses and, and stuff that you can't come back from. I think Garrett Cole was a little bit beaten up mentally and physically at the end of this year. Um, and unfortunately it all came to a head in the worst game possible. Um, so oh, feel bad for the guy, but you know, people kind of have to, people kind of have to d- dig it out of them and, and get beyond that because that baseball's baseball's a gauntlet. It's, it's not easy. And you're always going to be faced with tough situations like this. Um, and the Yankees continually don't rise to the occasion. And Cole was viewed as the guy who would be like, okay, like maybe this guy can rise to one occasion for us. And then like yeah. the guys can rally around him after that. Hasn't been the case so far. He's the Yankees have been on the losing side of the two do or die games that he's pitched in. So uh, it's it's tough. It's a very bad situation with how he's come in and dealt with not him dealing with everything, but you have the pandemic, you have um, the sticky stuff ban, you have the injury late in the season. So it's been, it's been tough for him. I, I will say that I am sitting here feeling bad for a guy making 300 something million dollars, but you look, you look at it and it doesn't, it doesn't entirely add up and it's not, the situation wasn't entirely favorable. No, I'm feeling bad. I'm not feeling bad for him. I'm feeling bad for us that we mm-hmm. paid Garrett Cole. We did exactly what we were supposed to do. And somehow yeah. we get, okay, you're going to lose two thirds of the next season. Okay. Well, Cole's going to get hurt. No, the season just doesn't exist. All right. Well, <laughs> great. We'll we'll move on to 2021. Oh, midway through the season, we decide something he's been doing for the last seven years is now illegal. That doesn't sound fair. No, you're right. It's not fair at all, but we are going to do it. Um, and then by the end of the season, yeah, he will. Remember when you said injury earlier? Yeah, he, he is going to get that. <laughs> I mean, he had, he had an 0.51 ERA in August. It's not like he struggled mm-hmm. after spider tag forever. Obviously, the starts immediately after the spider tag ban look different than the ones before it. But that does, I mean, that's logic. It's like, all right, we're everything about your finely tuned machine is now different for a month. Are, are you good? Are you going to be good? Your next start? Do you need, you need one more to get ready? Like, obviously that's going to be an adjustment period. It's just, yeah, it's the absolute worst case scenario. And obviously he, he got some of the praise from, you know, 2018 and 2019 somewhat fraudulently. But then again, I can't even call it fraudulent because, you know, 85% of pitchers are using the same items. I'm sure Gary Cole will be back in full force. But I am going to have to think about, all right, here's another guy that the Fenway Park crowd, quote unquote, broke. Um, we've seen it before. We've seen, we'll have see we see it again. Guys go to Yankee Stadium and they cannot perform at Fenway the same way they perform in the Bronx yep. for because they don't like getting yelled at, because they don't like the conditions, because they don't like the pressure, whatever it may be. It's like, is it real? Probably not. But is it going to be in my head until next April? Absolutely. So, I mean, that's that's where we're at. 
I've seen those fans break players before. You remember Will Myers dropped a fly ball in game yep. one of the DS in 2013? Mm-hmm. They broke him. Every time he caught a fly ball for the next game, it was like, ah! <laughs> like sarcastic <laughs> applause. And that guy, was ne- that guy was never good again. That's the 2013 Rookie of the Year. He's never good again. That's They traded him. His, his AL East career was over. Um, it's ridiculous. It, it just, you know, it doesn't make me angry at the Fenway fans. They're, they're doing what they do, but it does make me upset that Yankee, when's the last time Yankee Stadium did that to anybody? Like you, and you can't count the Randy Dobnak Uber game because that's Randy Dobnak. And, yes. and I don't think, I don't think Randy Dobnak was going to throw a no hitter until fans started to get under his skin. And yeah, that chant was a little bit, you know, untoward and uncouth, but it, it's different. That whole stadium chanting Uber was bizarre, but it's different than like the bleacher creatures getting in your goddamn face, like the, the yeah. people in the Fenway Park bullpen, which people used to do at the old stadium. There's a reason there was like mystique and aura at the old ballpark. People were scared to play there. Nobody, if you won at old Yankee Stadium, is a real accomplishment. If you win at new Yankee Stadium, it just means that the Yankees probably made two outs at home plate and went two for 11 with runners in scoring position or something terrible. Like that like it's it's no longer very difficult to go into yankee stadium and win if the yankees are great it is but there's no inherent advantage with the crowd in the ballpark when the team is sort of di- you know okay the the red sox are okay they have the same record as the yankees for a reason they're yeah. two teams with flaws that were good enough to make the wild card game and the red sox ran laps around the yankees at fenway park because the crowd got the crowd was unbelievable they got in garrett cole's head Garrett Cole's been bad since early September. No magic was there to be mustered, but I definitely think the crowd played a role in it. If that game had been played at Yankee Stadium, I don't think the crowd plays any role in that. I think it turns out almost exactly the same way, and that's, you know, makes me sad. Um, sad. Before we before we sign off, I guess let's just do, I mean, do you want to briefly bag on the Corey Kluber signing? Probably, right? I want to just- ba- bag on a lot of things, you know? I want to bag on all the stuff. Uh, we could talk about Kluber first, though. There's plenty of stuff this team did in the offseason that made look their opponents around them got worse. It was tailor made for the Yankees to take the next step. However, so we the, thought, yeah, so we thought, but however, the Yankees also weren't good enough to justify being like, okay, everyone around us getting worse. So let's just stay the same and make like a couple of moves and, and a couple of low, low key or like uh, high risk, high reward moves and see what happens. I'm not saying like Jameson Tyone and Corey Kluber, fine acquisitions like if you're a bona fide contender not if you're getting punked in the playoffs the last three years or however long it's been um so kluber i have the biggest beef with this signing why not because of Corey kluber i think Corey kluber's a cool guy i think he could have certainly got the job done in in any form in the postseason had he been healthy but he wasn't healthy so you look at the you look at the the situation in its entirety here they go ahead and they spend 11. They have finite resources. Not They don't actually have finite resources. They decided this offseason they had finite resources. So they could only spend X amount. And then that X amount was even lower because they had to pay DJ LeMahieu. And you knew that that was going to be in between 13 and 17 million, whatever it was going to be. So that chopped a lot off of what you were able to work with. And they go ahead and they give 11 million to Corey Kluber, who's made six, seven starts since... 2019 at that point had pitched 36, some 36 and two thirds innings. That's what you're going to spend the money on. You know, he's not giving you a full season's worth of work. The idea is that this is panning out for the postseason. So you're already thinking in 
in February or whatever it was, January, December, you're thinking, okay, yeah, ALDS next year. Okay, so we need we need a guy behind Garrett Cole. Who are we going to get? We're going to get a guy who is going to find his bearings, hopefully in the first two months of the season. Then we're going to manage his innings the rest of the way. And then he's going to give us a game to start. Like how insane do you have to be to be looking that far ahead with somebody who isn't a surefire answer? We've been talking about the day that they signed Garrett Cole. Can Tanaka be the number two? I don't know. Maybe I can't. I, I like, I think he had the, he sort of has the ability to, but he wasn't as the years went on, it was more, evident that Tanaka was a depth guy in the rotation to, to kind of fill out the unit and make you even better. He was not the number two guy and then playoff Tanaka doesn't show up in 2020. And then it's even more of a problem, but this here, you let Tanaka walk, you bring in two in uh, guys who have dealt with injuries over the last two years and have hardly pitched and almost 14 million of the dollars that you have are spent on these liabilities Jameson Tyone was making almost, I think he was making like two and a half million this year. Kluber was making 11. And those were moves that you had to, and like another thing, like kind of punting the regular season. I'm not saying like they were, they were actively thinking that, but you bring in two starters who have had very little action in two full seasons of work. And you're going to sit there and think like, okay, this is going to help us get through the regular season. We're going to have absolutely no problems with our pitching. And then once the postseason comes around, we'll have we'll have a, a bona fide pitching plan for these guys to be, you know, deepening the rotation and figuring out what we're going to do in a five and seven game series. I just thought it was insane. Um, I, I didn't mind the signing at the time. You could reason with it. You could sit there and be like, hey, you know, the Yankees should make the playoffs, but you looked at the 2020 Yankees and I understand the circumstances were very different. It was a shortened season. It made no sense. It didn't really, it, it, it lended, it lended to nobody really. Um, Mickey Mouse, <laughs> Mickey Mouse championship for the Dodgers. Just kidding. That's a legitimate world series, but that's the thing. Like the good teams last year that had to win, they won. That's what they did. They won the playoffs. They expanded playoffs. The teams that had to deal with expanded playoffs, the Rays had to face the Jays. The Dodgers had to face the Padres. Like it was yep. all there. People had to do things to win. So I understand 60 games is kind of a joke, but like the holes were there for the Yankees and it was very evident. Um, and then they go out and they don't make the the kind of the, the, the changes that intrinsically need to be made to the lineup and the pitching staff. They go out and they make these moves that, you know, like the Dodger, like the Dodger signing Corey Kluber makes sense. Oh, we got three really good pitchers. Let's add Corey Kluber to the mix. See what he could yeah. do as a number four. Like, you Here's know, our he, sixth yeah. starter. Yeah. And that's what the Dodgers did. They go out, they get they uh, uh, bullpen wise. They get Corey Kniebel, who's oft injured. But guess what? If that's your seventh inning guy and that ceiling ends up panning out, that's a fucking win. If your ceiling is relying on Corey Kluber to be a number two in a playoff series that you might not even get to deranged. In my the opinion. disgrace it's the rage <laughs> no it's i mean you're, you're 100 right it, it was a, it's a classic yankee move um you know we'll we'll get in shape by october and then we'll you know we'll we'll clatter into the deep we'll, we'll get our ducks in a row we'll go on a run in july and august september we'll take our foot off the gas pedal because we have a large enough lead to make the ds anyway and then when we get there kluber will be starting uh either game two at home or or game three at home if we happen to not have home field advantage and then look at look at that. It's Corey Kluber through 82 innings this year, but he's, you know, is widely thought of as one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. I'm not sure that's true anymore. Um, and again, you just you look at the other teams in the playoff field and it just it makes you feel even worse about the Yankees. You look at the 
way the Rays handled business yesterday. The Red Sox hit the, the Red Sox had nine hits and like 20 balls over 95 miles an hour yesterday, though. And, and the Rays were just so perfectly defensively positioned. And the Red Sox choked w- when they had runners in scoring position, but they scalded the ball against a good Rays staff. The Yankees definitely don't do that. No. Uh, the Astros walk into their first playoff game and just handle business. The, the Astros easiest. make you just feel good. Like, I hate them. Of course, I hate them. Who likes the Astros? But you watch that Astros game, you're just so comfortable that the stars are going to be stars. Jose Altuve is going to get two hits. Jordan Alvarez is going to hit the ball hard every time he comes up. It's like Alvarez and Giancarlo Stanton. Like, I in, I implicitly trust those dudes. I know exactly what they're going to do when the game begins. But you know what the difference is? The Yankees have Aaron Judge and question mark, question mark, question mark. The Astros have like seven people who when they come up, I know they're going to put up a tough at bat. It's more than likely going to end with a big hit. And if not, at least the pitcher had to work. And Lance Lynn threw like 80, 90, 95% fastballs for no reason. The Astros knew that was the plan. They destroyed the fastball. They effortlessly beat the White Sox, who are a really good team. And every time the Yankees beat the White Sox, you were like jumping for joy. The Astros just eviscerated them at home. Lance McCullers didn't throw them a single fastball all day. Curveballs off the plate. Some random rookie named Jake Myers. Did I get that right? Yeah. First RBI of the postseason for the Astros. A random rookie fought off a 97-mile-an-hour fastball in from Lance Lynn to loop a two-out ribby single to get the scoring going in that game. Imagine a Yankee doing it. Just, like, let it it enter and exit your brain that a Yankee, a 25-year-old Yankee rookie started a playoff game and effortlessly handled his business by taking an inside fastball to right field. Yeah. with two outs and runners in scoring position. It, it, unheard of. It would never happen. You watch the Astros, and they're just so trustworthy. You know their stars are going to show up and be stars. And you, the Yankees don't have that deep roster of stars anymore. And the people they do have, you trust them in exactly the opposite way outside of Stanton Judge. Yeah, and Michael Brantley comes up, two outs, runners on second and third. Couldn't think uh, – Could I, I don't remember. I mean – yeah, I, I honestly uh, just because just because of the stakes, they, I think it was one nothing at that point. They wanted to extend the lead. They had a shift on him. The Brantley, Effort. I think it yeah, was three nothing for Brantley. I think he made it, it three was. to five. He made it three to five. Okay, sorry, but either way, like just an effortless two out like rip single with the shift on. He's just standing there waiting for his pitch. He gets his pitch. He he hits it. Like why why does everybody else make it look so easy? Why is it so hard for us? Um, and then you want to talk about hard for us. What other we got a couple other moves here that we can that we can rip quickly. Um, mm-hmm. Naming Clint Frazier, the starting left fielder. Like I know it was kind of things were sort of aligning. But again, the warning signs were there. Clint Frazier's history with the Yankees never really got on track. It just never did, whether it was injuries, whether it was some bullshit off the field stuff the Mickey Mantle thing, the dodging the media after having that terrible game against the Red Sox. Mickey the defensive, World Series. Yeah. <laughs> the defensive holes in his game. You, I understand he was a gold club finalist, but the reason he was a gold glove finalist guys, and I don't, this is nothing against Clint Frazier. I wish him all the best. I hope he's okay. I hope he's ready to play next year, whether, whether I, I don't, it's probably not going to be with us, but I hope he gets his, finds his bearings elsewhere. But the reason he made most of those diving catches was because his reads off the bat were bad and his routes to fly balls and lineouts were bad. They just weren't good. And you heard it in the broadcast booth. They're like, Oh, that's uh that's whoa. That's a curious, curious route by Clint Frazier there. And yeah, I mean, it was just like he had, he had intrigue with his bat, but it was not entirely. It wasn't entirely consistent. Um, and then, 
on top of naming him the left fielder, you bring Brett Gardner back. And like, does that screw with the kid's psyche? Probably. You got a veteran. You got a legend. Yankees legend breathing down your neck for the starting job. And like the turtleneck. Yeah. (laughs) Still his turtleneck. Poured Tyler Wade's hot sauce over the floor. Um, You have a you have a Yankees legend breathing down your neck like you don't think that's good. Oh, great. So like the first minute I falter, Aaron Boone is just going to take me out of the game. They bench this guy in the postseason for Brett Gardner, and then they name him the starting left fielder in the offseason. Just moves that. Yes, while we were able to come to terms with them at the time and uh, agree with them and understand them, just in hindsight, just look even more insane by the minute. And now Clint Frazier, you're never going to see again. He played, what, 67 games this year. He batted 186. He was exiled, whether it was because of a medical issue, whether it was because the Yankees don't see this relationship working out. I think it's a combination of both. Um, But another crazy thing that the Yankees kind of did and then relied on it to kind of pan out when, once again, there were ample warning signs to suggest that this was not going to work out. Um, And then the last one, I think, is all you, because I think you feel strongly about this. Um, Passing on Marcus Simeon, what do you have to say? I just don't uh, understand why we thought we had enough infield depth to withstand what was to come in 2021. Like at the time, passing on DJ LeMayhew and letting him walk to Toronto felt indefensible. You can do the retrospect game all you want. I mean, that would have been... Imagine the deflation you would have felt if you woke up and the 2020 and 2019 team MVP mm-hmm. had walked to a division rival. You, that's unbelievable. You, you can't have that. But I don't understand. So they, they enter the season with uh, Glaber Torres playing short, a position he does not play. DJ LeMayhew uh, playing mostly first base, I guess. Jay Bruce is the first baseman. You just instantly, like, as soon as Luke Voigt goes down, you realize that the infield does not have enough bodies. They had to bring Jay Bruce north. They had to use Mike Ford. They had to use Chris Gittens to play first base and, and because they just didn't have another middle infield guy. They couldn't move DJ over there. Mm-hmm. Geo gets hurt at some point. Like, it's always going to work itself out. I just don't understand. Like, it, look, it, it was... It was written in the stars, preordained. They were never going past the luxury tax threshold. That LeMahieu contract is going to bog them down, but I don't think it's going to bog them down endlessly because he is versatile when healthy. And I Mm -hmm. also do think that he was hurt for probably much longer than he let on this year. And it got to the pain point where he couldn't play anymore. He lost power. Um, in early in the season, people sort of thought the rocket balls were to blame, but then you watched power normalize after the sticky stuff ban and after just basically the sample size grew larger, you know, you can't really look at the 2021 baseball season and be like, it was marked by a distinct lack of power. Like Otani hit 46 homers or whatever. Vlad Guerrero hit 48 or like people hit bombs. It's not like there was no power throughout the game of baseball. Gio Rochella maybe was someone who was inflated by that ball in 2019. LeMay sure, somewhat, but 2020, LeMay is still the same guy. It, it feels like an injury concern. Mm-hmm. I have no issue with signing LeMay That is nope. not a problem that I have. But they signed, in 2019, when they signed LeMay they signed LeMay Troy Tulowitzki. <laughs> they still had Miguel and Duhar. They had Gio uh, in the minors. He, I guess he wasn't up in, in 2019 yet. Yeah, that's when he sort of emerged. God, it feels like so long ago that that happened. Yep. Um, but but they stockpiled infield options that when Troy Tulowitzki went down, predictably after like a week, they could be like, all right, let's shuffle a deck. Uh, we don't have to sign Jay Bruce off the scrap heap. 
And this year they had a chance to get Semyon, who, by the way, can play like a little bit of left field too. Like if he had to, they would have found a spot for Marcus Semyon and one would have made itself available extremely quickly once Luke Voigt got hurt. And then they proved they were willing to be ruthless later in the summer by getting Anthony Rizzo to directly replace Luke Voigt. But they couldn't be ruthless earlier in the season because they were so confident in their depth that it ended up being borderline non-existent and forced them to play Gio Rochella at shortstop at the first sign of trouble. And Glaber Torres at shortstop all year long, even though he wasn't a shortstop. There were ample solutions here. And one of them was certainly paying, you know, 15 to $18 million for Marcus Simeon and using him for 130 games and getting 40 homers out of him. And they just, you know, they decided they weren't interested. And the Blue Jays thrived and they had an MVP candidate on their hands. Yeah, I, the, the biggest, the biggest, I, I wasn't gung-ho on signing Simeon, but then you look at the fact that they weren't entirely confident with Glaber Torres at shortstop. So like, what's what's the backup plan in your head if Glaber Torres sucks, which clearly you're thinking because you're telling me this to my face. You said internet. he's fat. Yeah, you yeah. said he's fat. You said he's out of shape. You said he's probably a better second baseman than a shortstop. And we don't have a backup shortstop. So what's the plan? We don't you you have the you have the contingency of Gio Urshela being able to shift over there because he's a very good athlete, but he's not a natural shortstop. DJ LeMayhew cannot play shortstop. You know there's injury issues with Luke Voigt. It's happened historically. Even in the shortened 2020 season, he got through it and he played almost all of it, but he was hopping every time around the bases, every time he hit home run, because he had a foot issue. So you know that there's injury issues with Luke Voigt because he acknowledged that at the trade deadline this year. You know that there's concerns with Glaber Torres playing shortstop. That's half of the infield that you have a problem with. And one of those injuries, there's going to be a shakeup because you have Jay Bruce behind Luke Voigt at this point, and you thought that was a viable solution. And then you have no shortstop backing up Glaber Torres in the event that that entirely goes to shit, which it, end up, which it ended up doing, and they didn't address until the end of September. So that's why signing Simeon now in you know, yeah, hindsight's 2020, I get it, but you look at it, and the Blue Jays had a stacked infield, and they're like, yeah, let's just get this guy. We'll throw him in. We'll see how it works, and then it'll, it'll probably turn out well for us. Um, because uh Biggio was probably supposed to be more of a of, of a, a centerpiece ish guy there than than I guess they had originally uh than I guess they had anticipated he's he's he not didn't even play yeah he didn't even play and they thought he was he could play second he could play third so great now we got another guy but they went about it the right way they spent the 18 million they went ahead and did it the Yankees could have just I'm not saying substitute Kluber for Simeon but if you're talking about getting a bonafide pitcher, maybe you trade for a more solidified guy who is making less under $10 million. And then you pay a little bit more to Simeon. And then you have an infield where you can have these moving parts because the Yankees were anyway going into the season, knowing they would have moving parts everywhere. But what's the problem with that? None of the moving parts were able to do anything else really effectively. DJ Mayhew, in theory, a utility player, primarily a second baseman guys. That's the way it is. Rubenet Odor, a second baseman. Can he play third base? Sure. But he never really did before that. Gio Rochella, can he play shortstop? Sure, never really did before that. God, I forgot just, we had Rugnet yeah, Odor. Like what? It, like that's that's where that's where it gets me mad that they didn't go out and sign Simeon now is because oh, so you're gonna play this this game of ping pong or whatever it is with these guys who don't fit in any of these positions, but you're not gonna sign a guy who can play actually effectively play multiple positions, which he's proven to do and finished top three in the MVP voting just two years ago. 
I understand he wasn't a lefty bat. We kind of looked at that and was like, hey, do we need Marcus Simeon? We need a lefty bat. But guess what? They also didn't sign lefty bats. So if you're going to do something, you have like do one, do one of the things. Don't like don't sit back and be like, oh, we're going to we're going to do some tertiary moves and then we're going to figure this out internally because there was no internal plan, uh, which is very much clear right now because none of it worked out. Um, they put all their eggs in. I don't even know what basket because I'm still confused as to what the plan was because nothing worked out. Um, and, and that's why that's why now we're looking back and saying, why didn't you just sign Marcus Simeon if you knew that all these things were kind of an issue? Um, and yeah, more and more by the day, everything looks crazy. Absolutely crazy the way they approach this season. Absolute wrong way. And I know not, literally almost nothing bounced their way this year, but if you made like one of the right moves, you're probably a 96 win team. And then that changed the entire, the entire trajectory here. Um, and that's that, that's simply why the frustration continues to boil. I, I have no more room for anger, by the way. I can't, can't, can't keep getting mad. Uh, last night I was mad because I'm like, great. So the Red Sox put all their energy into kicking our ass on the national stage. We we're the only game that night. You knew everybody was watching Red Sox Yankees wild card. They put all our energy into beating the hell out of us. Then they go down to Tampa. Yeah, I know they get nine hits, but like, what was the real threat? They had one all real singles. threat with the bases. Yeah, all singles. They had the bases loaded with Devers up, who's not not entirely healthy. The Rays he somehow hurt himself against us. Why yeah. didn't I know that? What the I hell is that? I have no idea. So, and then they go, and then you know they, they have they get punked by a rookie, Shane McClanahan. I know Shane McClanahan is very good, but. You know, you, you you chase Garrett Cole in the second inning and you can't get anything going versus Shane McClanahan. And then watch Shane Baz tonight, another rookie. Give me another Baz lifeless performance. All they yeah. need, all the Red Sox needed was to end the season, making us look like a bunch of douchebags. And that's exactly what they did. And they made the right moves this offseason by patching up deficiencies that they had. They ended up making moves at the trade deadline, like you said, that made no sense. That ended up panning out for them. Kyle Schwarber still don't know how that move worked out. Doesn't make any sense to me, but it did. Um, so clearly somebody there knows what they're doing or this team is just blessed with luck and we're not. I, I don't know. Yeah. Getting Odor on like April 6th really says it all. Like Insane. they had too much infield depth to use Marcus Simeon up until March 29th. And then they were like, Jay Bruce is the opening day first baseman. And then five days later, they were like, we picked up the worst hitter in baseball. And everyone's like, what? They're like, yeah, he starts. He's going to start 100 games. Yeah, sorry. We remember we said we had all the infield depth in the world. We absolutely didn't. My parting shot on the Rays, too, is just I mean, look, this series, the series ain't over. Nothing is over. But you look at the people that the pitchers that aren't even participating in this Rays series. Luis Patino, who they got for Blake Snell, haven't seen him yet. Brendan McKay, remember him? Yeah. Like the third overall pick, lefty came up in 2019. He's not here. Um, obviously, Blake Snell is not here. Uh, he was traded to San Diego, but he's a part of the Rays teams. You're thinking about Tyler Glass now, injured, not playing. Brent Honeywell, who destroyed us this year and was the number one pitching prospect in baseball like two years ago before all his arm surgeries, he's not here. They're doing it with McClanahan, Baz, and Drew Rasmussen. That's who's starting games one, two, and three. And in the first of the three games, the Rays just eviscerated the Boston Red Sox, oh. who again made us look foolish like three days ago. So, but it's not over. Chris Sale pitches, Nathan Avaldi pitches. The series could easily get more competitive. But the first game was a complete walkover. 
And it, yeah, it was Shane. It was rookie Shane McClanahan and David Robertson and JP <laughs> Fireisen, two former Yankees at the end of the bullpen who the Rays just picked up for shits and gigs. They're like, David Robertson's coming back from the Olympics. Great. Bring him in. JP Fireisen, like who was cut off the Yankees 40 man so they could protect Brooks Krisky, I guess. Great. He's going to go the final two innings. Um, their stadium is a joke. I hope they split time in Montreal moving forward, but you can't deny that the players on the field really wanted that last night. And they were without like four quality arms. Like when you think of the Rays, the arms you think of, they're not even there. They're nope. not even pitching. Shane McClanahan, Shane Baz, and Drew Rasmussen. If you didn't watch a Rays game between August and now, you wouldn't know those people existed. Yeah. And that's the one, two, three for a team that looked completely playoff ready. That's why people want to emulate the Rays, not because of their wage suppression, because of their con- just the overload of pitching. And in case you didn't notice, Yankee fans are all, we're excited. We're all high and mighty that our minor league system was great this year. Like they won at every level and that's wonderful. The Rays made the playoffs or won the championship at every level of the minor leagues this year mm-hmm. and won a hundred games in the major leagues. So Jesus Christ. Um, the only negative thing you could say about the Rays is that BJ Upton called them out for their arbitration practices yeah. last night during the game, which is really funny. Um, and I hope he continues to do that. BJ Upton's cool. Um, quick quiz. You know what the BJ stands for in BJ Upton? Boss Man Jr. Boss Man Jr. Not a real name. Uh, Boss Man Jr. That guy's <laughs> awesome. Uh, so I hope he keeps putting the Rays on blast because right now that's all I have. It's it's like, uh, you know, sometimes you revel in your rival's suffering. All I have is some like funny BJ Upton tweets during yeah. the games where the Rays are just like looking a level above the Yankees for all eternity. That is it for this Friday edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review along with the mailbag question. We'll be more than happy to answer it. We'll know more about the postseason on Monday. But, yep, effortless Astros victory. Rays squashing the Red Sox at every turn. Um, That was – those were some elite baseball teams playing last night. We'll see what happens on Friday with the Dodgers and Giants. Very excited for that. And the Braves and uh, Brewers should also be good. The AL Series right now. It the the worst. I mean, you wake up on the day of those DSs and you realize what the CS is going to look like, and you're just like, "God damn it!" Yeah, like the CS is either going to be Astros, Rays, or Astros, Red Sox, almost definitely. Yeah, like that's just what you're going to have to watch. So until next time, I'm Adam Weinrib. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weinrib, and I'm Thomas Carinante. You can find me at Tommy's underscore takes. Guys, just enjoy the baseball. We don't have to want. We don't have to be tortured with the Yankees. We don't have to be emotionally kicked around by the Yankees. Now fun baseball. All the best teams are in. They're all clearly the best teams and we can enjoy ourselves. Uh, talk to us on the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter account at Yanks Go Yard FS. Uh, head on over to YanksGoYard.com. We got plenty of offseason content there for you. Uh, we want more ideas too. What do you think? I don't know. What do I think? Sometimes, <laughs> think? sometimes I think? also don't know. I'd like to, no, we'd like we to hear know. from you guys, mailbag questions, uh, any requests on Twitter, much appreciated. Thanks for the support this year. Once again, uh, should be a fun off season. If they're actually going to make changes, hopefully maybe if, if they don't make changes, then we'll have fun ripping them. So either way, we'll talk to you next on Monday, everyone. Enjoy your pizza Friday. Yeah. We'll see you Monday when I'm sure we'll be covering Aaron Boone's two year extension. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.